0: Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by
0: I am Lawrence. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Welcome to a very special episode of the podcast. This episode is our Is it actually our 50th episode? No, is it, it is just because we we
0: Yeah, we we've done a recap episode in that and then if you remember Red Dead Redemption 2 was split into two parts because that was so bloody long.
1: <laughs> Either way, it's a very momentous occasion because it is the 50th game. It is on the Metacritic list. So, a very special episode. We've had some, some laughter. We've probably been close having some tears. we had some frustration at times. And we've played a hell of a lot of games. So, number 73 on the list. And that is Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence. So, not the original Metal Gear Solid 3. This is the, this is the enhanced version that was released a couple of years later Uh, in 2006 and it has an aggregate score of 94 um so we we kind of know um a bit about your history with mgs but do you want to just go over what your history is with this game in particular
0: yeah with with subsistence i've got no history uh, well i suppose
1: metal gear solid 3
0: yeah so like, like like you said there um this is the, the version of MGS3 that's made it onto the list. So two years after the original Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater uh, released. I mean, th- this is a game that I've played so, so many times. Um, probably one of my most played games of all time. There's not a lot that I don't know about this game. Like I found out a lot of stuff playing through it this time that I didn't know before, which you know, shows there's always something to learn even if it's with something that you've got a lot of experience with. Um, but this is probably one of my favourite games ever. Um and it comes in a series that I also hold quite dearly to my heart. Um I really like this series and this is a very fun entry into the series and it gives you a lot of a lot of background into the lore and the backstory of the Metal Gear timeline. So yeah, quite, quite a lot of history with this. I remember when it first came out and watching all the trailers and picking it up. I probably ever bought it from Morrison's um, <laughs> International Listeners. That's a British supermarket. But yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago now. But yeah, I've, I've played through this game quite a lot in the past. What What's your history with it?
1: Um, This was the first Metal Gear Solid game that I completed. It wasn't the first one that I played. <laughs> I just, I know I told this story before, but for new listeners, what the hell? Um, so I'd played MGS2 before, and I really liked the look of MGS2 before I played it, and I got to the section where you're diffusing bombs, and just completely fell off, um, you can read into that what you will, um, but I fell off, and didn't go back to it, I think I sold it after that, and then... I was really intrigued when, because if you remember, Metal Gear Solid 3 and the Twin Snakes were kind of announced about around the same time, and I had this um, this magazine that had both of them in there, and I used to pore over the screenshots, and um, I really liked the look of both games, and I used to, I was in this endless cycle at the time of buying, selling, buying, selling new games, it was just pre-owned games constantly I was just buying and I, I must have played hundreds and hundreds of PS2 games I must have had about 100 at one time um and I thought well Metal Gear Solid 3's always looked good I think I picked it up for about 15 16 pounds um it wasn't that long after release I think maybe 2005 and and may may even have been before that it may have been in 2004 um it, but picked it up I don't think, um, I think it took me a while to get through. I think I got through the initial part of it. I really liked the introduction at the time, but it was very long and long-winded. And it doesn't ease you into the, to the series or the game. And right. at some point I came back and I just pushed through and I was playing it like, <laughs> I, I, probably, I probably hate the way that I played it then now, if I look back. I was just killing everyone and I was just, I thought i thought to myself, I want to get through this and I want to see what, what happens and at some point along the way, I think it was around the point where you get to the helicopter in the base and you've got all the, the, the outposts, do you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, Bol- Bolshire. Yes, and it just clicked and completed it then, yeah, I've completed it countless times since then. And I became a very, very big fan of MGS. I've played all of them. Um, The only one I haven't completed (laughs) is MGS 5, believe it or not. Um, Because you like it so much. Yeah, I found that very alienating. But we will get there. We will get there. Um, So, yeah, that's my history with MGS 3. I've completed it countless times as well. I've also got subsistence. Um, I bought the PS2 version probably maybe 13 years ago um paid about 100 pounds for it um if you know anything about subsistence at least at the time it went for a hell of a lot of money and um now you can get a lot of what it has to offer in the hd version um which brings us nicely on to the version that you played
0: yep so i played the hd edition um but i didn't play it in the hd collection if that makes sense so I've got the Metal Gear Solid HD Collection on the PS3, which is MGS2, MGS3, and Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Uh, But I also have the Metal Gear Solid Legacy Collection. Um, So I played it through there. It's basically the same port, uh, but it just came out, I think, maybe a year or two after, perhaps? Yeah, that's the one that
1: has MGS4, MGS3, MGS2, and the original MGS PS1 version as well, isn't it?
0: Correct. And then... Um, obviously in the Metal Gear Solid 3 HD collection you've also got Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 included as well as um, little extras haven't you?
1: Yes, you do indeed, indeed. But yeah.
0: Legacy Collection and what version did you play?
1: Um, I've got the I've on the, oh, the PS3 I might add Yeah, so I've got the HD collection on the PS3 which is as you said MGS2, MGS3 and MGS Peace Walker, um, I bought that around the time of release um but 2012 i think wasn't it yes yeah, so it came out in 2012 and the version i played this time wasn't that version though because i did some digging and um our good friends who are not really our good friends but people that i refer to very often at digital foundry um they they told me basically not <laughs> via a video not not through a phone call or anything um that the best versions play was the Xbox three sixty version via backwards compatibility um where they've smooth smoothed out smoothed out the pretty rough frame rate of the PS3 oh, yeah. and three sixty versions.
0: It's awful on the PS3 version. Oh really? That, that frame rate tanks like really hard sometimes. Yes. Yeah, uh, the PS3 crazy. isn't it? It was
1: it was either yeah. amazing depending on if you'd actually optimised your game for it or yeah. not. So yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty case of that. Yeah, so I I had no no issues with frame rate. That was a really fun version to play. Um, so I got it there, and I was playing that version. And I also just for being thorough, I went back to subsistence on the PS2, and I dug through all the extras and had a mess around with mess around with those as well, just so that we can be exhaustive in our discussion. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I was gonna bring up the, the the secret videos now, but maybe we'll save that for later. <laughs> That's fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Uh oh, it's gonna make me laugh uh, okay so can you as usual um relay the plot to us i'm gonna give you one minute to do that and we'll see okay. how successful you will be i am timing you three two one go
0: so this story acts as a prequel to all of the other metal gear games that are included in the um in the collection, I suppose. It takes place in 1964, so kind of height of the Cold War, and you play as a young, uh, it's called Naked Snake in this game, but it's a young big boss who is tasked with going to a place called yask which is in some forests in Russia, to take down a new kind of weapon, which is like a pre-Metal Gear called the Shagohod to defeat a legendary soldier called The Boss, who is also uh, Big Boss's ex-mentor, and to rescue a Soviet scientist who's defected over to the USA called Sokolov. Uh, The game takes place really at the height of the the aggressions between uh, Khrushchev and uh, President Johnson during the mid-60s after Kennedy's assassination, and it's very much based in espionage, um, 1960s kind of cheese i suppose and is the story of snake becoming big boss becoming the the person that is well known as the the legendary soldier and completing his mission and defeating his his old mentor basically as a very very abridged version of the plot it's very in-depth but that's so long and short of it
1: So you said um, an early version of Metal Gear, but for those not in the know, what is Metal Gear?
0: Uh, So Metal Gear is a bipedal tank that is capable of firing nuclear warheads. Um, There are various iterations of it through the Metal Gear series, uh, but with this version in MGS3 being a prequel, it being the kind of... uh, the father, I suppose, of all of those weapons. It's not quite a walking tank yet, but it's um it, it's a it's a weapon that can fire nuclear missiles from any location,
1: yeah, so it's a precursor to metal gear and it's able to fire from any terrain um,
0: which was a big deal in the 1960s with a nuclear war and you know America and Russia
1: yeah, yeah theoretically um a game changer you could say,
0: yeah, a hundred percent it would. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what the Cold War was about, really, isn't it? The Cold War was about America and the USSR being at odds with each other, trying to get in front of each other in terms of the nuclear arms race, the space race, um, and the, the, the world kind of watching with bated breath at the idea of either side at any point could just lo- launch nukes.
1: The others would retaliate and it would just be the end of the world. Yeah, very interesting time. And how closely does this game stick to the politics, the history of the time? I mean, it, it's,
0: it takes place at a real time in history and it includes politics of real things that were going on, i.e. Uh, the fact that Lyndon B. Johnson was president of the, uh, the USA after President Kennedy was assassinated. You've got Nikita Khrushchev as the general secretary of the Soviet Union. But at the time, was coming under increased pressure to um, to either resign or to make a big change in the Soviet Union, Um, and he was being pressured by the next leader of the the Soviet Union called uh, Leonid. I think it's Leonid uh, Brezhnev. But the the Soviet Union was in a time of massive change anyway, as they'd just come out of you know being ruled by an iron fist by by Stalin for you know twenty, thirty years so it sticks quite strictly to what was going on at the times but all of the events that take place in this game are entirely fictional um it just uses names places etc and the general gist of what was going on at that time as its backdrop
1: yeah that's exactly i think right it uses it as a backdrop and it weaves its own story within that um kind of using the the history the names, the facts, as kind of um, bench posts or something to yeah. to to ground it, I suppose. And um, yeah, and then it tells its typically sometimes far fetched story within that.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent classic Metal Gear, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so that so the big change here. With, uh, with mgs1 and mgs2 we had these urban settings and it was about urban infiltration and what this game does and it, it really is a game changer to me is um it takes the espionage out of the urban setting and it plunks you into a jungle and it says what what would this do uh, how would you sneak through a jungle um, what's the difference between a jungle and an urban setting and and it really it really goes whole hog with those. and and, um, So I suppose we've said that it's an espionage game, but what do you actually do? What is the the, the typical moment-to-moment gameplay of this game?
0: It's primarily uh, sneaking or or making your way through various areas of jungle to um, research facilities, to weapon sites, to fortresses. Um, And I mean, something that was brought up in... It's a video I know you watched some of by Super Bunny Hop. That this part of Russia doesn't exist. Um, you know that there are no mountains or forests in this area, but it goes from you know forests to urban settings, back out to forests to climbing mountains, um, to infiltrating fortresses, to going through swamps and and sewers. It's very different from the other Metal Gear games, because, I mean, Metal Gear Solid was pretty on the nose in terms of this takes place in Alaska. Um
1: Is it Alaska? Yeah. Yeah, Alaska. Alaska. The, the Fox Archipelago.
0: Yeah, so it takes place, place there, which, right, but it, it's very much like this is a snowy terrain um and a nuclear research facility that's kind of quite dilapidated, whereas MGS2 completely flips that and you're you know on a on a oil plant that actually turns out to be a Metal Gear that becomes really bizarre and weird at the end oh it's like dear some, yeah it's it's so strange whereas this one kind of takes it back to to basics I suppose uh, and it's the first time that we'd seen anything regarding jungle or forest or outdoorsy I suppose in a Metal Gear game before because MGS2 was just the tanker section on the boat and then the plant section on the oil rig. That was it. Um, And there was a bit of variation in MGS1, but not too much. So this was the first time anything like this had been done in a Metal Gear game.
1: Yeah, it it was sort of a natural progression. So you had MGS1, which really, when you look back at it, it had primitive stealth. Then you had MGS2, which kind of fleshed out what you could do and really opened up your options for... Yeah, big time for moving from point A to point B, which is what you basically do in Metal Gear games. You yeah. move, I mean, people say you move from cutscene to cutscene, and I suppose you could make an argument that that's the case. Yeah, um, yeah so you're moving from point A to point B, but what, what the games do is they throw things in your path to make it an interesting uh, journey from point A to point B. And the natural progression is you've got this lush, jungle setting and and we had seen jungles in games before of course um most mostly in jungle levels but this game says well what if we just set the whole thing in a jungle and we we also have some other regions but it's alive as well yeah th- this is this is the key thing it's it's not just a level it's it's you you've got you've got the maps and you've got the foliage which is really diverse and really nicely done then you've got this whole ecosystem which is uh, animals that live there, huge amount of animals that live there. Um, you've got camouflage that you can use um, and you've got to change your camouflage constantly. You've got to cure yourself. You've got to keep yourself he- health- healthy. You've got to eat. Um, and it's just this, this survival system that kind of feeds into itself. And actually when you strip it back to the design elements, I think it's really brilliant. Um, I think this ecosystem that they've managed to create, you could theoretically, you wouldn't have much purpose to do this, but you could theoretically really go slowly through the maps and let yourself, let your stamina go down, let yourself get injured, cure yourself. Um, You could just basically create a life. And um, I think that was the idea behind it. You've got this, what it would actually be like to live in the jungle. Um, sometimes uh, I think counter to this whole thing is that it moves you too quickly through places and you never get to the point where you're, you're desperately hungry or you're, uh, I mean, it's got these wonderful systems in there, but I said to you, I I played the game, I played the game through on normal and I said, I want to really put these survival elements to the test. And I played it on hard straight afterwards. Um, I've played it on hard previously, but not for some time. And hard was really didn't didn't stress them that much more than normal so i'm going to try on extreme at some point um but i really wish they would pushed this idea of survival because they've got the systems in place but they never make it desperate and i feel like you make it desperate you're pushing it to a whole new extreme i think it's it's, it's great as it is and all these systems really flesh out the game and um make it this believable thing this ecosystem and it's really really quite special um yeah
0: it it can be cumbersome though and I mean one thing that I I could I was thinking earlier is obviously with changing camouflage the cure menu it can become quite cumbersome to keep going into the menus and changing stuff around and stuff and I liken it a bit to um to ocarina of time not on the 3ds but on the original n64 particularly in the water temple where you're always changing your boots and having to go into menus and changing stuff around i think that's one of the elements of mgs3 that hasn't aged very well it's still brilliant but if they were ever going to remaster it or remake it i think that would be something they'd have to look at um because that's probably the one of the biggest downsides of the game i think is just the amount that you have to use the menus and have to keep changing stuff around
1: yeah i think that the biggest killer for it is it's not just the menus but it's that when you even when you press pause, even on the the three hundred and sixty version in backwards compatibility, it takes a few seconds to load it. It takes a few seconds for everything to happen, and to fully change your camo, you're looking at probably fifteen to twenty seconds or more um, just to do that. And then if you're changing it every few meters because every the tra- screen, yeah, some of the, or some of the terrain is really varied. Like um, yeah, true. If you if you're if you're fighting the end and you don't want to get spotted. That terrain can change constantly and you could be constantly changing your, your camouflage to keep your. Um, so how the camouflage works is you, you wear your face camo, you wear your body camo, and it gives you a percentage rating in the corner and says how blended in you are, how visible you are. And obviously you want to keep that as high as possible. Um, so you could be constantly changing that. And when I first did the end this time, I was I got a bit annoyed with the camo in that moment. That was the only time I got annoyed with it because I felt like I was changing it constantly. Um, I didn't do it the second time. I just st- stuck with one. And but that's that's a problem. If 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 your system is making players want to just stick with one thing and just think ah oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just we'll just manage as it is because it's too cumbersome to go in and out. Um, that's a bit of an issue. So, yeah, I agree with you. And they really they, they did a good thing with the, the camo in Metal Gear Solid 4 as, as a direct reaction to people complaining about this. Um, I think what they could have done with this one is a quick menu, like when you change weapons, um, just yeah. a quick menu for camo. That would have been great. Should have done yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. So I, so I do agree with you there. I, I think one of the things I wanted to touch on is I mean, we've watched a few videos about this, but I kind of noticed it when I played it as well, Um, is the pacing of this game is very, very different from MGS1 and MGS2. They are still very arcadey games and quite fast-paced, whereas MGS3 encourages you to go slow. And I find there's something really relaxing um, when you're trying to navigate a difficult area and... You're, you're keeping your camo up and you're um, just working out how, how, how to progress and the best path forward. I find it really relaxing. And then you've got this, this. I mean, we'll get to it later, but this wonderful ambient soundtrack of all these animals that you can hear around you. I mean, a lot of the time when you're playing this game, there's no music. There's just this um, this soundscape, which is really brilliant. And it really there's something really relaxing to me about that. And I think, for me, that's why I like this game more than MGS1 and 2. And I really like MGS1. 2, I quite like. But yeah, this game, for me, I think it's... I said to you, one of the first things I said to you when I started playing was I think this is Kojima's finest hour. And I do.
0: Yeah, I think for this this game, really, Hideo Kojima had to get it right because the backlash against MGS2... It was quite severe at the time. Obviously, now MGS2 has become a fan favorite, but I think it took a while to get there. And I mean, MGS2 came out in 2002, I think, so they had two years to, to get this game out and really give the fans what they wanted. Because
1: I think a it lot might of have been people the end of 2001, very late 2001,
0: uh, maybe. Um, but yeah, like a lot of people didn't like riding and i i personally i'm not really a big fan of mgs2 a lot of people do like it and i struggle to to understand their, their big love for the game because I, I just don't see it but with this game it was very much like okay we'll give the people what they want they wanted to play a solid snake well how about we give you one better than that we give you the the version of solid snake that isn't all complicated and all you know difficult and broody we give you plain version that has opportunities for for character growth and i think particularly with mgs3 and and the prequel games and i can't remember who said it 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 was in a video i watched a while ago um but i feel with mgs3 because in metal gear one and two big boss is the enemy and you come to realize that there are weird things going on with metal gear one and two when you finished the phantom pain and i'm not sure have you seen the ending for the phantom pain at all um yeah i think i have seen it cool yeah so i I won't mention what happens at the end of that game here but the whole arc so is, this, of big is, is boss...
1: this i mean let's hint towards it just just so i know what you're talking about is this the thing where a character is not as they appeared
0: yeah okay so the, the whole arc of big boss is that in metal gear one and two he's the, the most legendary soldier of all time but he's also a tyrant he's you know a, a, a warmonger and he's a war criminal really and mgs3 starts to answer the question of well how did he get there and i think with mgs3 snake in this game is, is really likable i think he's the most likable version he's the most likable protagonist in all of the metal gear games and i think as time went on and like I said, this is a this is a take that I heard a few years ago. I can't remember where I heard it, though. But as the years went on, Kojima really formed an attachment to Big Boss. And he really didn't want Big Boss to become the villain because Big Boss is the most likable person throughout the series, I think. And you kind of see it go on with, with Peace Walker and, and MGS5. But to begin with, in MGS3 naked snake he's he's just like a not a regular guy but he's just a likable version of solid snake because solid snake isn't the most likable easy to relate to protagonist really but big bosses and i think as the the years went on and as the games continued to come out kojima really struggled with the idea of turning this really likable um goofy soldier into a, a maniacal tyrant that you know, has nuclear weapons and and all of that. You, I mean, I know you've not completed the Phantom Pain, but do you, do you know what I mean by that?
1: Yeah, I, I think Naked Snake might be my favourite version of Snake. Yeah. But to play Devil's Advocate, my friend, who's played all of them, um, he was frustrated when MGS3 came out because to him you'd had mgs2 where you play as solid snake very briefly and you'd had mgs3 where you're not playing as solid snake who is the quote unquote hero of the series yeah and it was another game where you weren't playing as the hero of the series now i'm not saying that's right or wrong but i think it probably does reflect a portion of the fan base um in that
0: yeah um I, i think i think that's a fair comment that they're they're effectively the same person it's just that naked snake in mgs3 has a bit more of a different personality from solid snake in mgs1 and i think particularly for for mgs4 which obviously will come on to um soon is that i think the amount of people that begged for for them to be able to play a solid snake again when it eventually came to mgs4 kojima was like okay you can play a solid snake again but I'm he was so sick you. of hearing people go go on about it for so long He was like yeah he can play a solid snake but he's old snake and he's not as you know spry and not as not as witty and not as i I don't know but i I feel that kojima really be, began to not not hate the the metal gear fan base but despise elements of it because they just weren't letting him make the the game or the creations that he wanted to
1: yeah. And because I started at MGS3 and I played as Naked Snake first, obviously through the game, um, I've never been too bothered about the protagonist. I mean, I, I didn't mind Raiden. I mean, I don't think... I think MGS2 really goes off the rails at the end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think there is a good game in there. Not not my favourite game, but it's still a game that I enjoy playing and there are parts of aspects of Raiden that I enjoy um, he's not my favorite, but I don't hate him. And a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in MGS3 where they punish Raiden, um, in the game as, as this version of Raiden, which is Rykov <laughs> and you can do all sorts of things to him. And yeah, they, they really, it's like acknowledging that a lot of people didn't like Raiden and they let they yeah, your like frustrations out on him. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't feel that. I mean, yeah, so it's 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 a funny thing and and it's it's a strange it's a, it's such a strange game because I mean, in one of the videos that you showed me, they said that that in in some ways MGS3 is the most ridiculous game of of the series, but I really don't think it is. I think it's the most grounded of the series. I think they're all ridiculous. I think two may be the most ridiculous of all of them um, yeah two definitely is i think it, they're all i think if you if you take these things as these really serious stories you're going to be disappointed because there's so much retconning throughout there's so much convenient stuff by the time metal gear solid 4 not even to mention the games that came out afterwards come around Things have been said earlier on, and they're completely taken back in later games. Um, yeah. You just can't take this story, story seriously, and it, it's supposed to be a fantasy. Um, and in the same way that we all know that that uh, Metal Gear Solid is heavily inspired by James Bond, you, you wouldn't go through the James Bond series and say, "Oh, this doesn't this doesn't add up." That this character has been the same age for for sixty years. It doesn't yeah. add up. So, so. Yeah, I think you've got to you've got to take it take it all with with a lightness. I think otherwise you're never going to enjoy them, and you yeah, just end up true. hating the games. <laughs> mm. Okay, so let's move on to our ever-present feature: gameplay is king. Is Metal Gear Solid Three Subsistence fun to play?
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those games where you can you can play it however you really want to. If you wanted to, you could running, guns blazing um, doing wh- whatever you want or you could take it slowly and take it steady finding ways around the guards lapses in their, their patrols or you could just, you could find another way to play it, there's no correct way with MGS 3, with MGS 1 and 2, it's very much like you've got a few options but here's the start point, here's the end point go, and mgs3 has that but it's more like here's the start point here's the end point and here's point b c d e and f eventually gets the end point but do what you want and tackle it however you want to and it's it's things like blowing up store cupboards so that the enemies get hungry and then throwing rotten food at them to give them food poisoning or throwing poison frogs at them to kill them it's there's just so many ways to play this game and so many ways to tackle it that it's endless. And like I said, I learned things on this playthrough that I thought I already knew and things that I thought I knew everything about this game, but apparently not. You're always learning something. You're always learning new ways to play it, which I think is the most fun aspect of this game because no,
1: what, no single playthrough will ever look like the last, I don't think. I think... They set out to do this in the early MGS games and I think they really mastered it here and they kind of developed it in MGS 4 and 5 as well, um, which is the idea that, yes, you're trying to get from point A to point B, but between that, you've got this playground and yeah. you're you're encouraged to really push this playground to the limits and see what you can and can't do. Um most people will probably rely on tranks and lethal weapons to make their way through even if they're doing it quietly, um, but you don't have to. One of my favourite moments from my playthrough, there's, there's a tough bit after the fear where you've got this warehouse that's um, full of guards and you need to get to the other end and you're moving downwards, and I used all my tranks on the fear. So I was forced to improvise. So I had some books in my possession. So I used the books and I used the cigarette um, gas. The cig spray. Yeah, the cigarette spray to, uh, to put them to sleep. And that was really fun because it was really fun working out how I was going to get past them. I knew there was a way to do it because this game always gives you a way to do things um, without using the blundering way. Um, and I, I tried to use tranks as little as possible. I tried to. Um, avoid rather than to tackle people but in that room you can't really avoid them because your your camo index doesn't get, get, get that high so you're always going to get spotted so you have to take them out um, yeah it's, it's just this playground and me too I also discovered things we were both telling each other things that the other person didn't know and it was, um, it was a really fun playthrough because of that um, I think it is a fun game I think it's a really fun game and there's something really satisfying about it. Um, you've got lots of moves at your disposal. What's your favourite move?
0: I think, in terms of moves, there's a, there's only a limited amount of things that Snake can do, but it's what you do with the skills that you're given. And one of my favourite things to do is just messing with the guards in MGS2. I don't. You've got options, but they're not as as numerous as in MGS3. Things like shooting a hornet's nest down to make guards run away or when they are crossing the the rope bridge at Delino Vodno and like shooting out the ropes so that the bridge becomes more rickety and they fall off it's just things like that that you wouldn't necessarily think of that just make this game so much more immersive and I think those are my favorite elements of this game it's just the amount of ways that you can just mess about with the guards and you can just cause mischief really I think is the best word for it it's just fun it's just light hearted and the the possibilities while well, not being endless there are a large number of
1: them what, what about you? I uh, the, the big thing here which most people won't do which is a shame really is they've got this CQC system in there that actually is quite detailed and you can do a lot with it but most people won't use it because...
0: That, that's a form of attack, isn't it? CQC?
1: Yeah, close quarters combat. And you've got a range of moves that you can do. So you, you grab an enemy, and then you can, you can slit their throat, you can knock them out, you can slam them on choke the them until death, you can slam them and then hold them up, you can get information out of them. Um, there's a lot you can do. You can use them as a shield and run around with them. Um, lots that you can do with it. But... The game, I mentioned the opening with this game, which is very, very narrative heavy and it doesn't do a good job. It it tells you things, but it doesn't show you how to do things. And I think it doesn't do a very good job of explaining to you how the CQC works. So you have to kind of go out of your way to experiment a bit to see how it works. Um, it's got these quite useful tu- tutorials on the menu, but again, you have to go out of your way to look look for them. It doesn't is not show you um yeah. and the key thing with cqc that i don't think it ever really tells you is that if you want to do it sneakily there's on the d-pad there's the if you want to do stealthy cqc that's really key you can just run up to guards but there is a chance that they'll spot you big time um, and if you're trying to work out how to use this system that that d-pad walk is really vital and yeah, I just, I just think it really doesn't do a good job. Of, it's got all these systems, but it doesn't always tell. Some of them, it, it drives them home to, to, to the point of exhaustion. Um, like the camouflage, I was getting told about the camouflage well over the halfway point that I could use camouflage to sneak through areas. Well, if I hadn't figured that out by now, then you wouldn't be at the halfway point. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's just, it's just very strange. Um, and I find that opening very handholdy, but in the wrong way. Um, there's something about this game that, with the, with with the um, I can't think of what they're called the the codec moments. Um, so with the codec in this game, it's actually much less intrusive. Um, yeah, but in
0: that, they leave we to it a
1: lot, don't they? Yeah, but in that initial part of the game, the virtuous mission it's very much there all the time. And then they, they kind of they lay off with it, which is really good. And that's why a lot of people say that the game really opens up when you get to the Snake Eater mission. But um, that virtuous mission can be quite annoying, I find. Um, even though there's some really cool cutscenes in there. But yes, my favourite movie is the CQC, but I just wish they'd done a better job of um, Yeah that makes of sense. teaching the player how to use it. Okay, so we we have mentioned so you said Sixties cheese. <laughs> I don't know if I'd agree with that 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 phrasing. I think I think it pays homage to a yeah a lot of Sixties stuff. I think it's kind of like a a tip of the hat to a lot of Sixties stuff. Um, yeah, sure. Like
0: the like paramedic talking about the original Godzilla from the fifties, yeah. or or Major Zero talking about from Russia with love.
1: Yeah, there's a fondness to it all. It's it's. Um, mm. Yeah, and I, and I really like that aspect of it. And, it. and it's not only in... So, yeah, when every time you save the game, you get from Paramedic, she's talking about a film that was released around or before the time. And there will be some films that you've heard of, some that you've never heard of, but there's some quite fun little conversations that they have. And sometimes the major will get involved and it's it's, it's fun stuff. It's just a bit of lightness. Um, added to what can be quite a serious game at times. And not only that, you've got, as we've already discussed, the historical and the political elements, but you've also got um, branding. And I know that some people...
0: Oh, like calorie Mate and stuff.
1: Yeah, and I know that some people complain about branding in games, but it's never really bothered me, because the fact is we walk around and we see branding all the time. I remember with the original... Um, names aren't coming to me today uh the 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 getaway the original getaway game um set in london and i remember it had all the shops it had all the shop um stuff that you'd actually see in london so you you drive around and you'd see an electronics boutique which is a now non-existent shop uh that we had in the There was the
0: the bt van as well wasn't it yeah you do that mission in the uh, police station yeah which
1: they took out because they did (laughs) because there were complaints um yeah you've got all these brands because the fact is if you walk through london you're going to see brands everywhere you look and i get that there's some there's a bit of um oh they're getting paid to use this or they're advertising it's free advertising for them but sometimes it's needed and i and i and i'm not talking about the brands the the adverts that come up in the middle of games and i can't stand that stuff but i think appropriate placement of Brands is okay. And the thing that I quite like in MGS3 is the Triumph motorcycle at the end. It's just a nice touch um, of a very popular brand of motorcycle. Um, Yeah, I mean,
0: this was the first time that the Metal Gear series had done that as well, wasn't it? Because you've got the Calorie Mates, which are an actual snack in in Japan. You've got um, the Triumph, and then obviously in MGS4, one of the big elements of that game is the iPod. Um, And the fact that Emmerich uses mostly apple products
1: yeah and it and it feels like like in mgs4 you can play the ipod while you're playing and you can put a soundtrack on to listen to it feels like there's a bit of thought gone into it and if there's a bit of thought gone into it i'm not against it if it's thrown in there to just for the sake yeah i I don't like that but I, I, i like it here i think it's done right and it's not overdone um it's the thing that i I really
0: didn't like about the avengers films is that in i think all of the avengers films or a lot of the marvel films particularly the later ones from the past kind of six years or so they've always got Audis in them like all of them drive an audi and i've got nothing against audi but it's like when every single car being driven is an audi i'm just a bit like
1: please no more no more Audis. whereas in james bond for example uh I love, I mean, I think everyone loves the cars and it's a big part of it, all these fancy cars. And sometimes they do different deals with different car makers, but you'll still see other cars in there. Um, and I think, and it will always come back to an Aston Martin. Yeah, uh, so you, they might take a break from Aston Martin for, for one film, but then they'll come back to it. So there's the BMW in Tomorrow Never Dies. Although there was the Aston Martin in that as well. Um, okay, so do you want to talk a bit about the Cobra unit? yeah
0: i mean in in every metal gear game really from metal gear solid to mgs 2 to 3 you've got the 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 rogue gallery i suppose um and in mgs 1 it's the Foxhound unit in mgs 2 it's dead cell in mgs 3 it's the cobra unit and in mgs 4 it's the beauty and the beast core and i don't think mgs 3 has the best group but i think they're memorable so the, the whole story with the Cobra unit is... I've mentioned earlier the boss, who was Snake's old mentor. She defects to the Soviet Union and takes her Cobra unit with her, which is a group of soldiers um, that helped win the war for the Allies in World War II. Uh, and they've all got names that correspond with the feelings that they take into battle. So you've got the boss, who is given the name The Joy, but it isn't ever really used in the game. You've got The Sorrow... Um, who is really an element into himself. You've got the Pain, who is a specialist that can shoot hornets from his mouth for some reason and is horrifically stung um, and is always in pain. You have the End, who is an incredibly old sniper known as the, the, the father of modern sniping. You've got the Fury, who is an ex-astronaut that is obsessed with fire. And then you've also got the fear who is a weird little goblin man <laughs> that can go double jointed and is a bit like a snake and he's really weird and I hate him. <laughs> uh, and I think that's all of them, isn't it?
1: Yeah. That's all the, the Cobras.
0: So they're the boss fights that you'll come up against in a game. And they're all slightly weird in their own way. And Once you beat them they explode because they're all um very they're all very strange and they've got you know weird abilities and i think the reason behind them exploding is so that their bodies can't get recovered and be researched on so their power dies with them i suppose
1: so i just want to quickly touch on the presentation and the audio um this is going to be a quite a long episode but yeah hopefully it won't be too much longer and hopefully you are enjoying it um so graphically And audio-wise, how has this game held up?
0: Quite well. I mean, the the original um, version of Snake Eater that shipped had the problem with the camera in that it had a top-down view mostly, which uh, was the same as it had been for MGS1 and for MGS2. But with MGS3, it didn't work as well because the enemy sightlines were increased and the, the spaces were a lot bigger. So I think when they released Subsistence and then the HD collections they they fixed the camera to it being a rotating camera that you could move as and how you saw fit. Um, in terms of the look of this game, I mean, the HD collection still looks great. It's quite obviously um, a PS2 game that's been upscaled. Um, I don't think there's any escaping that, but it isn't a bad-looking game. You, you can tell what generation it's from in terms of consoles, but it's the same engine as MGS2, and I don't think it looks bad. I think it looks slightly better than MGS2 because obviously it was a couple of years older, but um, yeah, I think it looks good. The soundtrack to this game is brilliant. Like you mentioned earlier, the ambient soundtrack of the animals and the, the life around you is also brilliant in creating that atmosphere and that environment that really helps you immerse yourself, I think.
1: Fun fact about MGS3 and MGS2. MGS2 ran at 60 frames per second. Now they had to halve that for MGS3 because... One of the hardest, with the amount of stuff. Yeah, one of the hardest things to, to uh, I mean, from my layman's perspective, to, um, to doing games is to add foliage, and it's just full of foliage, and um, yeah, they had to halve the frame rate because of all the extra detail that they had on display, um, but obviously with the HD versions, they've pushed that back up, back up to sixty, or in, as you said, the, the PS3 and probably the original 360 versions case, um, attempt to get to sixty, um. So that's just an interesting thing. I think the one thing that makes this game timeless is the animation. The cutscenes are so so well animated. At the time I hadn't seen anything like this. Um, Everything has just got crunch. Um, There's not a body part out of place. There's not that uncanny feeling that you sometimes get with animation and I think if you marry up animation and Semi-decent graphics. It makes the world a difference. And I think it makes it age like a fine wine. Um, I think this game looks great. And the animation is a big part of that. But also it's a nice looking game anyway. It was really pushing the PS2. Um, yeah. Audio. The soundscape is fantastic. The songs that are here are fantastic. Um, the voice acting is great. The only so- thing that sometimes puts me off. Which is a necessary thing. Is the lip syncing is obviously tied to the Japanese version so you do get times where snake will speak but his mouth is shut (laughs) yeah it does look quite strange Uh, yeah and I think they I think they fixed that with the more recent ones but yeah it's it's um, it's a bit jarring sometimes because sometimes a full sentence can come out and he doesn't move his mouth yeah it's quite weird (laughs) Um, okay on to our question of the week which I thought we'd do something a bit different with this Um, we've not done something like this before and because it is a game that we are both very very fond of um i thought we would each pick a line of dialogue that is our favorite and kind of give a bit of background as to why that is i mean this episode is very heavily i suppose for those people that um enjoyed and know know mgs3 um, but hopefully people that don't know it as well are also enjoying it um so what is your line that you've picked
0: Uh, It's quite a long one. It's the whole section where the boss talks about herself um, before you fight her. Um, And she says, I've got it in front of me, "The the, the foibles of politics and the march of time can turn friends into enemies just as easily as the wind can change. Ridiculous, isn't it? That Yesterday's ally becomes today's opposition. And this Cold War, think back, when I was leading the Cobras, America and Russia were fighting together now consider whether America and Russia will still be enemies in the twenty first century. Somehow I doubt it. Enemies change along with the times and the flow of the ages and we soldiers are forced to play along. Um I, I I just really like that quote because I find it is it is quite true that, you know, enemies and rivalries do change very quickly and it just depends on the politics and the times and I, I find that the the quote there of do you think that russia and america will still be enemies in the 21st century somehow i think not um and even though it's a very different political landscape to what it was in the 60s america and russia and to be fair just russia and the rest of the world to some extent are still on some form of tenterhooks um, but that line's always stayed with me. And it it goes on a bit further, you know, for it to say I didn't shape you into the man that you are so that we could fight to the death, but this is because we're soldiers and this is our mission. You've got your job, now finish your mission and kill me. Um and I think it's just a very telling insight into the boss that no matter what the stakes are or what's going on, the mission must always be, be complete and obviously that gets that gets pushed into a little bit more at the end of the game when you find out that really the boss defected because that was her mission and that's what she was told and she was going to go down in history as a war criminal but really she was a a true patriot to America to the end and it all ties in with why Big Boss becomes you know, the the villain because the boss was sacrificed and the, the soldiers will always be sacrificed and yeah, bit of a deeper meaning behind it, but I really like that quote.
1: Yeah, very, very powerful stuff. It kind of reminds me of GoldenEye, <laughs> and and see, I think there's depth in James Bond, and, and I know I've mentioned James Bond a few times in this episode. We've been a bit James Bond heavy, um, but do you like James Bond? I, I, I don't. Um, so, <laughs> so there's a line where Alex says to Bond, "Did you ever ask why? Why we?" Toppled all those dictators, undermined all those re- regimes, only for them to say, "Well done, good job, old boy. Everything you've risked your but everything you've risked your life and limb for has changed." And then Bond says, "It was the job we were chosen for." And Addict says, "Of course you'd say that, Her Majesty's loyal terrier." And yeah, it's just um, it's the same idea, isn't it? That things change, and the difference between Alec and Bond is that Bond accepts and that Alec rebels. But actually, with, with Naked Snake, we see him accepting for the whole game until the end. And that's what triggers his turn yeah. into Big Boss. Um, in wrestling terms, if you've got any wrestling fans, it's called a heel turn <laughs> from good to bad. Um, my line is is a bit similar, but, but very, very simple. Now, this line... I don't know what it is, but this line really stands out to me throughout the whole game. It's the one line that really, I don't know, really resonated with me, which is... He's speaking to Eva, and so this is Naked Snake, and he says just this very simple line. I believe because I have to, even if it is a lie. And to me, that summarises Naked Snake. He... He has, to, he has to believe because everyone is lying to him throughout the game. There are so many points where you, the player, question why he doesn't pick it up. But he does. Sometimes he glances and he notices things, but he never questions them. And I think because if he started to question them, everything that he's doing would unravel. And what we see at the end of the game is when he's forced to question things because they are presented right in front of him. And everything unravels, and then we get this heel turn that he has. Um, and that line I think summarizes as well the difference between naked snake and solid snake, because in MGS One, in um, MGS Two, we see Raiden doing it as well. We see see them fighting back against their superiors, their their commanding officers, um, asking mm. why, what's going on. Tell me what's going on. And sometimes it's a bit annoying for the for the player to have all this because you know that you can't do anything about it, but they're voicing their dissatisfaction in the cutscenes, but still you have to carry on to your objective. Yeah. Whereas Naked Snake doesn't question. And we don't get that conflict, but actually in a way it's it's far more interesting. Because what yeah, happens for sure. if we don't question? and
0: well that that, that, that that that's the thing with the story of of uh, naked snake and big boss isn't it, it it's more of an unraveling over numerous games and over over years i mean mgs5 takes place in 1984 20 years after mgs3 and obviously i won't go into spoilers here but things happen in that game and you realize that maybe you're not the person that you that you always thought you were but that there are elements to to big boss and stuff that take years to unravel and get to get to where they end up but it's the first steps in mgs3 where he starts to question and starts to realize that you know following orders and doing things that as he should may, may, may not be the best way forward because to to his superiors and to to the united states he's just another soldier he's disposable I think
1: in its silence, in Snake, not questioning compared to Solid Snake, compared to Raiden, sometimes they argue, and in Raiden's case, he sounds like a petulant child. But then he goes and carries on with the objective anyway. And in yeah. Naked Snake, silence, and then you get the moment at the end where he's hesitant to shake. <laughs> Your favorite bit of the entire game. I, I, I was determined to get this in there, so he, so he's, he's hesitant to shake the president's hand. <laughs> he is, and he refuses to shake the director of the C- <laughs> the director of the CIA's hand, and I'll go into why I'm laughing after this. But without words, Kojima manages to do so much more in those moments than all the arguing combined in MGS1 and 2. Um and it, and it just says something about quiet storytelling, which this game doesn't always do and doesn't always do a good job of. But at times it does. Well,
0: I I know that you didn't get to the end of the um the video by super I don't think you got to the no, end of I the didn't. super bunny hop video, did you? And he makes quite a good point that after the the part where Eva leaves Snake after they've had their evening in the cabin together at the end of the mission Snake doesn't have any more words. After that section, he doesn't speak again in the game. The the whole epilogue is is summed up by Eva. And you see the journey that Snake goes on at the end of the game, but he doesn't have anything else to say. And Super Bunny Hot makes a very good point that this entire game, they've been building Snake up and and building him to, to be, you know, an amazing soldier who beat the boss and they give him the title of Big Boss. And then the end, with all of the stuff that Eva comes out and says, they just, like, they spent the entire game building him up, and within minutes, he's just torn down. Like, he's just torn to bits. And all you get at the end, at the end of the game is just, like, one tear while he's saluting at, at the boss's grave. And I think that's, I, I don't know, I think Big Boss is quite a tragic character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And and he's one of my favourites. But yeah, after that section in the the cabin, Snake doesn't say anything else for the the last 20 minutes of the game. You just... You see everything going on around him as him. You don't have any input into it. You just experience it. Um, And I think that's quite a powerful storytelling um, element to this game.
1: I think Naked Snake is a really good cipher for the player. Um, Yeah. And he's relatable and he's not constantly doing things that feel at odds with what you are doing as uh, in the game and I think that's, that's a really yeah. big thing how many games are you presented with cutscenes where you're thinking well oh, just do this just do that or just 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 shoot him or whatever or just notice but snake does notice but he internalizes and I just think he's it's, it's a really good cipher for the player and I, I think this is why I think he just ed- edges out Solid Snake for me, and I and I really like Solid Snake. I think he's I think he's brilliant, but um, I think Naked Snake just edges him out, and also yeah, I agree. Naked Snake and his obsession for food um, brings about some very <laughs> funny moments as well. And speaking of funny moments, just to give a bit of background as to why I just went into hysterics, the director of the CIA. Now, what subsistence on the PS two version has it's got three discs, and on disc two, which I think is persistence, um, they've got a secret theatre, and in the secret theatre it's full of spoofs, and you probably clocked in that final cutscene, if you played the game, that he does not shake the director of the CIA's hand. It's quite a big moment, and you you kind of think, you feel a bit uncomfortable about it because you think, is that the right move, um, but at the same time you're thinking, screw them. Um, but in this spoof, the director of the CIA <laughs> comes back because he was not happy about Snake not shaking his hand. for the boss, <laughs> he beats Snake with CQC <laughs> 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 he, he he holds his hand out to Snake in the middle of the the jungle. Then all the cameras come in in the middle of the jungle, and they start photographing this handshake between the director of the CIA and Snake. <laughs> and then they have a dance, quite literally. And then they kiss. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> and I showed weird. it to you and you, you, you were in hysterics too, weren't you?
0: Yeah, it's so funny. I, I, I recommend yeah. it, anyone that's interested to like find it on YouTube because it's just ridiculous. I think it's called, um, if you just type in Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence uh, Secret Theater or Metal Gear Stupid, yeah. it should come up. I think it's up. called Payback, that particular it's, one. It's
1: so funny. It so if you're a fan of the game, yeah. Go and watch it, because I don't think many people know about this secret theatre. And I, di- I didn't until you mentioned it the other day. So there's a lot of really funny... Th- that's that's the funniest by far, but yeah, there's a lot of really funny yeah. stuff in there. So um, yeah, but on to our conclusion. Does Metal Gear Solid 3 deserve to be on this list?
0: Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think, to be honest with you... It's a lot lower than I anticipated. And what what did we find out
1: the other day? Is it MGS two or MGS five that's the highest rated one on here? I think. Don't quote me on this, but I think it's MGS two followed by MGS five. But I could have it could be reverse. It's one of those two.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I personally think this this one should be the highest rated one on the list. It isn't my favorite in the series. That still remains as MGS one. But this is easily one of my favorite. It's weird. Say because... you
1: between the two, don't you?
0: I do yeah and I mean I think I said in the MGS1 episode that MGS1 is one of my favourite games ever um, and this is there as well and I'd say that probably flip-flops between the two as well but I think this game deserves to be higher I think it should be in the top 40 um, do you think yeah uh, I mean should, if, you take,
1: if you take I mean it's, it might be hard to do take I suppose what is your favourite but objectively what do you think is the better game out of one and three if you just the better game is
0: mgs3 um and i think that's because obviously it is a bit more modern there's more technology more this that and the other that's put into it which makes it better for for modern audiences and it's like i said i've mentioned it a few times when my friend james tried to play mgs1 for the first time having never played a metal gear game before he struggled with it whereas with mgs two or three it's a lot more beginner friendly um so i think mgs3 is the better game i'm not sure if i could say it's the better story than one because i really like the story of one but in terms of this game being on the list yeah it deserves to be here i think it deserves to be higher because there's just so much to this game that you know i'm, I'm still finding out um after you know near ongoing 20 years so yeah definitely deserves to be here for me what about you
1: Yeah, MGS3 is I said to you and I stand by this it is in my top 5 games of all time it may even make my top 3 but I suppose we'll have to come back to that question near the end Um, it wouldn't make my top 2 but it may make my top 3 so yeah it's definitely in my top 5 and I think it's I, I also think MGS1 and MGS3 are the best MGS games I would say that th- for me 3 is better I think it's um, I think Kojima honed his craft a bit and everything that he learned in 1 and 2 was refined in 3 that's why I think that Yeah. But, I mean if you said 1 honestly th- they're both great games um, it's hard to argue with isn't it for either yeah they're both really good games and I think they're both Kojima at his finest but I think for me that is th- this is the one and I think, yeah, for me, it would be in the top five. And I think it's a bit... It's funny because when MGS3 released, I think the original MGS3 has got a 92 rating on Metacritic. um, Whereas MGS2 was much more fondly received by critics, which is interesting. Um, And maybe there's something to do with expectations at the time because obviously MGS2 came out near the beginning of the PS2 life cycle so it was really showing what the hardware could do whereas MGS3 everyone knew what the hardware could do so it was all yeah. about what the game did rather than the hardware and and, and the, the new technology um, but I do think it's a better game than 2 um, yeah so that was MGS3 we hope you did enjoy it what have we got coming up so we're going to we're going to take a bit of a break, but before we take the break, we're going to be recording an episode where we rank um, games 1 to 50, and we put them into tiers, tier list. Um, so you can look forward to that episode, but after that we're going to take maybe a month break, because...
0: Yeah, what, what, what I'm thinking is, I'm, I'm looking at um, my calendar now, and this episode will be releasing on the 26th of August, Thursday... I'm thinking maybe we take next week off and then we come out for the 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 intermittent episode maybe the 9th of September. Okay. Um and then from the 9th through to maybe the 7th of October. So if we aim to get our um the second half of the list started for October the 7th, what do you think?
1: Yeah, works for me. And Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to be putting some thought into Uh, into those games than the second 50 to make it as entertaining for you the listener as possible and uh the game that we will be coming back with as we are treating the second half of the list as its own separate thing normally we wouldn't do these two games so close together but um we think it'd be an interesting one to kick off with and would you like to reveal what that is
0: yeah so that would be Metal Gear Solid 4 Sons of the the Patriots Guns of the Patriots
1: Guns of the Um,
0: Liberty guns of the (laughs) pain (laughs) yeah i I mean you're you're a big fan of four aren't you whereas i'm not really i can take or leave it i i said at the start of this episode i love this series and i hold it very dearly to my heart but i mean three of the games three of the mainline games i'm very meh about it's only mgs one and three that i'm like ride or die for
1: um, I just think,
0: but yeah, I think with so, four,
1: and we'll we'll get into it in the episode. Of course, I just think um, it's not. that It's one of my favourite games ever. Although I do really like it, I just think it gets a bit of a bad rap. Whereas I think some of the things that it does, it does really well. Other things that it does, I don't like so much. But obviously, we'll get into it yeah. in the episode.
0: We will. So we'll um we'll look to get the episode. The intermittent episode on the 9th of September and that will be, as we've mentioned before, myself and Dan ranking the the fifty games we've covered so far between S tier and F tier. Um we'll have a few drinks as well. That'll probably be quite a long episode, I imagine. Um, but it's there to break things up in if that's something that interests you. Yeah, if that's something that interests you, then you know, please, have a few please do join and us. Have a listen. Indeed, unless you're under the age of eighteen or in America twenty one then, then. Don't have a few
1: drinks to... and still listen.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> stick to the Vimto. Um but yeah, that that covers it for this fifty. Yeah. Um it's really weird to say that. We we started this in February twenty twenty before yeah, before the pandemic was even ramping up here in the UK. And to say that we're now a year and a half down the line and we've covered 50 games 50 of supposedly the best video games of all time is is a little bit mad and you know we're we're, we're growing every every week every month we're finding new listeners and we hope that you're enjoying it you know as always if you are enjoying our content please do consider subscribing or or following us uh, or sharing with someone that you think might enjoy it as well because we really enjoy doing this um like i say it's a nice little project for us as, as two people that used to be very deeply involved in the creative industries um it, it's nice to have this here i think um so you know I, I, as always you can you can catch us on on social media We're on twitter we're on facebook instagram you can email us at the long and short of it podcast at hotmail.com um And yeah, I suppose from me for this 50, thank you for tuning in so far. We hope you've enjoyed what we've done. We hope you're looking forward to what we've got coming up. We've got some great games on the latter 50. Probably got some rubbish games as well, but we'll, um, we'll see as we go along. But yeah, thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening. And we look forward to seeing you after our little intimate episode to be refreshed and ready for 50 to 100 anything else from you Nope, that's it good stuff superb well thank you for listening thank you for joining us we'll see you very soon and in the meantime take care cheerio see you on the
1: next one